Welcome to this week's sermon from Ambleco Christian Centre. Good morning. I imagine that most of you watching this morning have been watching the last couple of services where Adrian and Tim have started to teach through the book of Nehemiah. And I'm picking things up today in chapter 3. Uh, but just in case you haven't watched the last two services, uh, the book of Nehemiah is a story about one of Israel's heroes uh, back in kind of about 600 years before Jesus came. Um, Judah had got invaded and destroyed, and then about 100 years later, Israel had been invaded by the Babylonians, and Jerusalem had been uh, flattened, and the people had been dragged off into exile in Babylon. And Nehemiah was one of the exiles who had a call from God to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild the walls of the city. And the book of Nehemiah is the story of, uh, of his life and how he did that. And we here at Amblecote Christian Centre, as a church family, uh, we're in a season where we believe God's calling us to build. And if you're interested in that and want to know more, you sh- should check out our church family teaching on the website, uh, where we're talking a lot about that at the moment. But because we're in a season where we feel called to build, we're reading Nehemiah, particularly with an eye to what principles there may be as to what it means to build faithfully that we can learn from today. So... Um, so far in the story, Nehemiah's received the call from God. He's got permission from the king of Babylon to come back to Jerusalem, rebuild the walls. And he's arrived back in the city and has been kind of shocked by the disrepair and the poor state that the city and the walls are in. And we pick things up now in chapter three, uh, where Nehemiah and the community start to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And chapter three is essentially just a really long list of all the people who contributed and what they did. And some sermons in this series will will read the whole chapter or the whole section. But on mornings like this morning, where it's essentially just a lot of minute details, uh, we won't read it all. But I'll read some of it. And to help us get the most out of it, um, the amazing Sophie has got a map up for us, a picture that I'm going to refer to and I'm going to um, talk about as we read through the chapter. So... You might want to have your Bible open in front of you so you can follow Nehemiah chapter 3. And I'll make some comments as we go along to try and help us get the most out of it. And we'll also have our picture to look at. And hopefully between those three things, um, we'll be able to hear something that God might have to say to us this morning. So if your Bibles are open and you're ready to go, we'll dive in and I'll start reading from the start of chapter 3 verse 1. Then Eliashab, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred, as far as the Tower of Hananel. So, if you look at our picture over here, right at the top, this, um, this kind of area on the right with the black border is the uh, city of Jerusalem at the time of Nehemiah. And the black border kind of shows you where the walls are. And at the top, we've got the Temple Mount. And at the very top, you should be able to see where um, scholars guess that the Sheep Gate was. We don't really know for certain a lot of these things, but they guess, they think that the Sheep Gate was there. And if you move to the left, you see the Tower of Hundred and the Tower of Hananel. And that's the section um, that the high priest uh, built. 
And uh, the high priest was the religious leader of the people. And it's interesting that he builds first and sets an example for everyone else. This reminds me a bit of what Peter says in the New Testament in the book of 1 Peter, where he says that if you're a leader in the church, you shouldn't be lording over everyone else, but you should be an example to the flock. And here we see Eliashab being an example to the people of Jerusalem uh, by building uh, that part of the wall. So, and next to him, the men of Jericho built, and next to them, Zachar, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hasanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakoz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, the son of Meshezabah, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Barna, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. So if you uh, look again at the picture, you'll see that Nehemiah is giving us an account in an anti-clockwise direction. So we're moving from the sheep gate left, round to the fish gate, and down to the gate of Yashana. And he'll keep going round in this anti-clockwise direction as we go through the chapter. And you might have uh, noticed as I read that, that many of the groups that are building are family groups or ethnic groups kind of local communities. You, you've got the men from Jericho or the Tekoites and so on. And we'll say more about this at the end. Um, and we'll also come back at the end to those who would not stoop to serve the Lord. So moving on into verse 6. Joida, the son of Pesea, and Meshulam, the son of Besadiah, repaired the gate of Yeshana. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them repaired Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jaden, the Maranothanite, the men of Gibeon, and of Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them, Uziel, the son of Hahiah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers repaired. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. And so in this little section, we start to see that Nehemiah mentions uh, agents of government in his list. Um, Raphiah, the son of her, the ruler of half the district of Jerusalem. And obviously when it says that he repaired, it doesn't mean that he personally did it all himself, but he, his household, his servants, the people over whom he had uh, some influence repaired the wall. So we see that joining in this repair is not just families and clans, um, but also kind of political or administrative leaders. And we also start to see professions mentioned, like the goldsmiths, and the perfumers, which is interesting as well. Next to them, Jediah, the son of Harumaf, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashabaniah, repaired. Malkijah, the son of Harim, and Hashub, the sons of Pehath Moab, repaired another section. And the Tower of Ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halahesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired, he and his daughters. Hanun and the inhabitants of Zenoah repaired the valley gates. They rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. And if we look at our picture, if we keep going down this left-hand side, past where the Tower of Ovens may have been, we get towards the bottom of the city of David, and there is the dung gate. So we've kind of got to the bottom of the city now. And it would be fascinating, wouldn't it, to know a little bit more about some of these places. So the Tower of Ovens sounds a great place to go and visit. Um, 
the Dungate may be less safe, but unfortunately we don't we don't have many details, we just have these names. Okay, picking things up in verse 14, we'll read a bit more and then we'll skip over a bit. Verse 14, Malkijah, the son of Rehab, ruler of the district of Beth Hacharim, repaired the Dungate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And Shalom, the son of Kolhoza, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shelah of the king's garden as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. And after him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, ruler of half the district of Bethzur, repaired to a point opposite the tombs of David as far as the artificial pool and as far as the house of the mighty men. So having reached the bottom, we're now starting to go up on the right hand side and you'll see on the map on the right the Kidron Valley there and um, we see the reference here to um, because in the Kidron Valley uh, they built the tombs of the kings and of the leading men of Israel built into the wall of the valley so this is why you get a reference to building the wall opposite the tombs of David because that's where they were buried and um, if you go to the Kidron Valley now um, as I have, you can still walk up the Kidron Valley and see some of the tombs set into the walls. Um, unfortunately, we can't dig as many of them up as we'd like because there's houses on top, but you can still see some tombs in the side of the valley, still visible today. Okay, so uh, I'm going to skip now towards the end of the chapter. We'll pick things up again in verse 28. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired, each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Immer, repaired opposite his own house. And after him, Shemaiah, the son of Shekaniah, the keeper of the east gates, repaired. After him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zaleph, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Malkijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants, opposite the muster gate and to the upper chamber of the corner. And between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and merchants repaired. So you'll see we've come back now, all up the right-hand side, round the muster gate and the corner tower, and got back to the sheep gate where we started. So Nehemiah's given us accounts of all the way round the wall. So well done. We've like read a significant part of a chapter that is just a list. Um, and if you stayed with me, brilliant. Um, so what I'm going to do now is just summarize the four main things that come out of that list. And then I'll try and apply them to us today. So four key points. Here we go. First of all, we see that rebuilding the wall was a community endeavor. Like everyone pitched in. It wasn't just a job for a few people. Uh, but we see by the, the way Nehemiah mentions people, we've got family groups, ethnic groups, clan groups, kind of political groups, administrative rulers, professions, and all the rest of it. Um, everyone contributed to the rebuilding of the walls. Second, there were some who didn't get involved. Uh, in Nehemiah's words, they wouldn't stoop to serve the Lord. And that's probably not how they saw it. They probably thought they had good reasons for not getting involved. Uh, but Nehemiah was clear that this rebuilding project wasn't something that was a service for him or even for the people of Israel, but was a service to God. And that to be a part of it was to be obedient to him. 
Third, we see that different people and different groups contributed different amounts to the rebuilding of the wall, uh, depending on their means. So some repair sections a thousand cubits long, which is a lot of wall, um, whereas others barely managed to put a gate in. And so each contribution was different depending on the ability of the people. And finally, we see that most people repaired the bit of the wall which was near where they lived or where they worked. And of course, back in those days, often where you worked was where you lived. You, you often worked in the same place. Um, so many times, you know, we're told people did the bit opposite their house or did their bit as a kind of working community, probably really near the location of their work. So what might those kind of four principles, those four observations have to teach us today as, as we try and be faithful, building, um, as Jesus asks us to in this local church, building uh, communities of people that really love Jesus and disciple one another and seek to reach out missionally to others with the love of God. If we want to build more of that here, what might we learn from this passage? Well, I suggest that the first thing that we learn is that this is a community endeavour. All of us who follow Jesus are called to contribute to this kind of building. And that shouldn't be a surprise for us. Um, some of Jesus' last words on earth were, go into the world, make disciples of all nations, uh, baptising them and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And that commission was a commission for every Christian who would follow Jesus. You know, we're all called to do this, but it can be easy for, s for us to accidentally slip into a way of thinking where we uh, think of this as something that primarily other people have to do. And I think there's a particular temptation to maybe think that this is something that uh, the church leaders should do, the elders perhaps, or the staff, or maybe the mature Christians, that this is that building up the church in this way is, is something that primarily they should do. And just as with Nehemiah, us leaders do have a particular responsibility to set an example and to lead in our lives and our actions. But the leaders only built a tiny portion of the wall. Most of it was built by the community. And I suggest the same will be true for us, that um, community and discipleship and mission, we leaders will contribute a little bit to that. But most of the building will be done by the whole community. And um, this is also a wonderful thing because this draws us closer together. As we get on with something together, we, we, uh, we come to love one another and know one another more deeply. You may know from your own experience that there's nothing like doing something with someone to build your relationship. And um, this is always the way with Jesus. You know, when he calls Peter to follow him, Peter can't do that on his own. He's got to do it with 11 other disciples, at least three or four of whom were probably intensely irritating to him for a while. But as they followed Jesus together on the road, they would have grown in love and understanding and be bound together by their service to God. And uh, that's something that will happen among us as we all pitch into building together. So that's the first thing. The second thing, just as with Nehemiah, there will be some among us who won't get involved, who won't contribute, and um, perhaps in Nehemiah's words, won't stoop to serve the Lord. And there can be many different reasons for this, as there was back then. You know, perhaps back then some of them didn't like Nehemiah or the way that he led. Um, perhaps some of them 
uh, thought they had too many other things to do and were occupied with what they thought were more important tasks. Or perhaps there were some who thought that Nehemiah was making a mistake and that he was leading in a, in a bad direction. And um, that can all be the case now as well, can't it? It is particularly interesting that Nehemiah points out a group of nobles as those who wait steep to serve the Lord. And again, this reminds me of what Jesus said, that, um, that it's hard, very hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And it seems there is a particular temptation for those of us who are wealthy um, or successful um, to opt out of really following Jesus and contributing. And given that most of us, if you're watching this service on an electronic device, then kind of in global terms, you probably count as wealthy. <laughs> that should be a warning for all of us to not let uh, our, our being consumed by stuff and money and our success to get in the way of the call of God. So for us today, um, even if most of us are pitching in, there will still be some who won't. And we shouldn't let that discourage us. You know, that happened for Nehemiah. But the Lord still got the walls of Jerusalem built. And um, we don't need to be discouraged if there are those that won't join us. We can trust that God will accomplish his building amongst us. So third, just as contributions to the wall were different, um, our contributions today will also be different. As we respond to Jesus in building here, community, discipleship and mission, each of our contributions will differ depending on who we are and our stage of life and our means and ability and gifts and call and all the rest of it. And that's great. You know, let's not fall into the trap of comparison or fall into the trap of thinking that we all need to fit the same mould. Actually, the differences in our contributions should be something to value and honour and celebrate. And finally, final thing for today, um, just as those who were building the wall, most of their work was near where they lived or, um, or where they worked. That was where they built the wall. I think the same is true for us, that most of the ways that we are called to build will be the things that are in close proximity to us. It will be, you know, with those that we live with or near or already have relationship with. Probably um, our mission, most of our mission will be to our friends and our family, to our work colleagues or to our neighbours. Um, we don't have to kind of leave our lives to find a bit of the wall to build. Most of the building takes place with what is close at hand. It will usually be those that are already in our lives that we will be called to disciple. You know, it may be um, that for you, it will be family members that don't know the love of God yet that will be the primary people who, that you are called to pray for and to show God's love for and to try and share him with. It may be um, for you that it's your work colleagues and your neighbours that you are called to build deeper friendships with and to get to know more. And it may be that someone that you've known in this church family for a couple of decades that Jesus is calling you to pursue a deeper spiritual journey and friendship with um, and to walk in closer community with. And I wouldn't be surprised if that is the case for a lot of us, that it's the things near at hand that God wants us to build with rather than having to try and leave our lives to find something to contribute. That's not often the way that it works. So... So the four things then to learn from this passage are we build as a community, 
and that there will be some who won't build with us and we don't need to be discouraged about that. That our contributions will look different and that we will usually build uh, the part of the wall that is in our environment, where we live and we work. So um, I'm just going to pray for us that Jesus speaks through that to us and then the service will move on to whatever comes next. So Father, I just pray for uh, everyone listening to this this morning that in the midst of what I've said, you will speak to them and that you will, uh, by your Holy Spirit, grow in them a desire to be a part of the building of your kingdom, Lord. It's a privilege that you call us to participate with you in the growth of the church and in the growth of your kingdom in the world. And I pray that we would be excited about that and you would uh, speak to each one of us about the bit of the wall that we're called to work on as we seek to build together here at Amblecote Christian Centre and in our church family. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Amblecote Christian Centre. For more information about who we are, what we believe and how you can get involved, check out our website www.amblecotechristiancentre.org.uk